And as I'm getting the first touches of that, I'm finding myself beginning to identify. And uh, seriously, I speak in a lot of contexts, in a lot of places. And uh, speaking before you today has been a scary prospect. Now, don't take that personally in a negative way. It says more about me, actually, in terms of my social location. And as I was reflecting on that and thinking about what we've already experienced here this morning, I realized that in coming into a chapel service, we often find ourselves encountering things that may not be comfortable for us, that may seem other than us. So for many of you, singing hymns is kind of, it's an other thing. It's not something you necessarily have a lot of experience with or resonate with. In contrast to me, I grew up singing hymns. In fact, most of the hymns that we sang today, believe it or not, I have memorized and can sing them without the hymnal, even the notes. Um, but for many of you, it's an other experience. But even for me, uh, it would be important for me to recognize, too, that there's even an otherness there because many of the hymns in that book were written at a time other than the time that we have been living. Did you realize that? Two hymns that we sang this morning, one was written in the 19th century and the other in the 18th century. That was a while ago. Uh, that was a very different cultural context than in which we live. And some of the words actually betray that, don't they? The first hymn, or no, the second one that we sang, Holy, 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 down in the bottom right-hand corner, if any of you might have noticed this, there's a little word, Nicaea. Some of you recognize that word. It makes reference to an important council of the church in the 4th century. So again, we find ourselves often very removed from what we encounter and experience. And as we encounter that kind of foreignness, we, we may, perhaps often, feel like, what does this have to do to me? What does this have to do with me? What does this have to offer? What does this have to give to me? Well, um, this actually gets right to the core of what I want to share with you this morning. Because I think that question gets right to the core of the Christian gospel. If you put up the first slide, please. I, I want to start by having us consider just a basic, maybe one of the most basic propositions about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I use the word gospel, by the way, let me just clarify, what I mean is all of the good news about who God really is that we get a glimpse of through Jesus Christ. That's what I mean by the gospel. We can only hear the gospel, that good news of God in Jesus Christ, from another. Now, this may sound so obvious to you, that it may uh, seem to not merit mention, let alone a chapel talk. Uh, of course, we must hear the gospel from another, right? None of us are born with the gospel implanted in our heads. Uh, and it certainly is not the kind of stuff that we would just come up with on our own. As a matter of fact, in one way or another, if we have encountered gospel, it has been through another, from someone else. Duh. Well, maybe 
I haven't made my point clear enough. So let me try again. This time adding a little bit of nuance. Second slide. We can only hear the gospel, the good news of God in Jesus Christ, from an other. What do I mean by other? Someone who is different. Really different. Substantively different than I am. Someone who surprises me with who they are. Those surprises happen often in relationships, do they not? Uh, one of my colleagues at the seminary, in fact, he is our president, although I knew Ron Benefield before he became the president of our seminary. He's an incredible minister, preacher of the gospel, committed his life when he lived in Los Angeles to urban ministry, one of the pioneers of urban and cross-cultural ministries in the Church of the Nazarene, just a great all-around guy. And then once I got to the seminary, we were at a seminary event one time, and we're used to having the president do official speeches and everything at the seminary. And next thing I knew, he slid in behind the piano and was the accompanist as we sang songs. I had no idea he played the piano. It was a surprise for me. But one of the things that did for me is for a guy who I thought at some levels I had figured out and I had labeled and in my categories, he surprised me. There was something now very other about Ron Benefield that I hadn't realized that I had to come to term with. So what does this have to do with the gospel again? Well, this pattern of encountering the gospel through an other, someone very different than us, is a pattern that is established clearly in the New Testament. We see this recorded especially in the book of Acts, which gives us somewhat of an historical account of the development of the Christian church. And so in Acts chapter 9, we discover that the gospel, this good news about who God is revealed in Jesus Christ, first came to the Jews. Okay? Hence the link with the Old Testament scriptures. But it wasn't intended to stop there. As a matter of fact, this gospel, this goodness about, good news about Jesus was also to be available to the Gentiles, non-Jews, a very different group of people culturally. How did that happen? The Gentiles heard and received that gospel from Jews. They didn't come up with it on their own. They had to hear it through a people different than them. In fact, from a people who had their own prejudices against them. And so the whole story of the conversion of Saul to be the Apostle Paul, right, was this incredible transformation because first and foremost, this Paul guy, from whom we get several letters in our New Testament, was the primary spokesperson to take this good news to the Gentiles. He, a Jew, taking it to the Gentiles. They received it from another. Well, that's not the end of the story. Thanks be to God. Because in Acts chapter 10, we find out that these Jews who had received the good news, who had received the gospel, and had been a part now of passing it on to a whole group of people very different than them, these Jews 
in order for them to continue living into that gospel had to hear it back from the other group. And so we have this story of the Apostle Peter, right? Jew, good Jewish Christian who has this vision and in this vision a blanket drops down full of all kinds of animals and the voice comes, eat these. Well, they were not kosher food and as a Jew you couldn't eat those. So he protests and that vision is the unfolding of a new transformation in Peter the Jew to realize that what God by the Holy Spirit was doing in these Gentile people was going to change now his whole understanding of who God was. L listen, for example, to these statements of Peter that give an idea into how the otherness of the Gentiles started speaking back into his life. In Acts chapter 10, verse 28, Peter now, having learned this lesson, says, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. That was the norm. That was the accepted culture. That was, we're different. Let's keep those differences intact. But, Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Dropping down to verse 34 of Acts chapter 10, Peter continues, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. You know the message He sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. So, let me take this basic proposition and take it to another level. Next slide, please. We can only hear the gospel, the good news of God in Jesus Christ, from an other. Not only the first time, but throughout our lives as believers. Throughout our lives as believers. Others, people who are significantly, substantively different than we are, are critical. Not only in introducing us to the gospel, not only in pointing us to it in those beginning ways, but also to keep reintroducing it to us as a power to keep transforming our lives. Because if the Scripture stories, both Old and New Testaments, tell us anything, it is this. We have a tendency to drift. As human beings, vis-a-vis -vis God, we have a tendency to drift. We get out of alignment. We forget and so, this gospel, this good news, 
that perhaps had some significant initial kind of way we welcomed into our lives and committed ourselves to, we need to keep being reintroduced to it over and over and over again. Because if not, what happens is, as Christians, we lose connection with the fullness of the gospel. I'd like you to listen to another passage of Scripture. Jay's going to come up and read that for us. This is found in the second chapter of uh, Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verses 11 and 22. As Jay reads this, I want you to listen, particularly for some words and images that capture this sense of otherness. So then... Remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances so that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, in him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. The vision here is of a new humanity. A new humanity created by the breaking down of barriers and the removing of hostility. Now, notice what it is not, okay? It is not a new humanity created through an extension of who I am or what I know or who we are and what we know. In fact, that latter approach, trying to, trying to be a part of building a new humanity, creating a new humanity through taking what I have and what I know and extending it, that's a false gospel. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. A false gospel seeks to create a life based on what I know, what I like, with those like me and usually those who like me. 
By contrast, the real Gospel, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, seeks to create life where, at the very points where, I don't know, where I find myself engaged with something I don't like, with those who are different than me and may not even like me. Now, why does the gospel only come to us in that way? I, you know, if, if I were to try to create a mode by which we would encounter the gospel, this would not be my idea of how to do it. It can only come this way because salvation, however you define it, salvation is by relationship. A loving relationship. And there's only one way to nurture love in a relationship, and that's with an other. You cannot generate love within yourself by yourself. Although, we sure try, don't we? Now, God, of course, is an other. And we can say, salvation comes therefore by relationship to God, being in relationship to God. True enough, true enough. But, we can only come to know God who we can't see through fellow human beings whom we can see. I think there's something like that in the Bible. Is there not, Shane? And if it is really the case that we come to know God through others, then the kind of God we come to know will be a reflection of the others in our lives. So here's the danger. And this is a danger for each of us. When we keep to ourselves and those like us. We create and maintain a God in our image. Which is to say, we really don't know God very well. Which means we really have not heard the full Gospel. Okay. So, who are these others? Next slide. That scripture we heard read from Ephesians chapter 2 gives us some good clues as we try to answer the question. And I invite you in these few moments now to take an inventory. Who is other to you? That passage talked about physical marks in the case of this letter to the Ephesians, it had to do with those who were circumcised and those who weren't circumcised. But think about all the physical marks in our contexts and cultures that designate 
who's in, who's out, with respect to you, gender, disability, piercings, tattoos, scars, body size and shape. Who is other to you? Who do you, just by looking at, go, no way, uh-uh. Next. Aliens is a term used in that letter to the Ephesians. People that basically don't belong. Who are the people that in your scheme of things and the way you've structured your life, if they were to become a part of it, it, it would truly be an alien kind of experience. Who doesn't belong? We might think of those of different faiths, those of different nationality, citizenships, those who speak different languages, ethnicities, different social class. Those who are across the dividing line between us and them. Next. And here's maybe the most challenging, but perhaps at the same time the most helpful clue to help us as we try to think of who are the others in our lives through whom God might be trying to reintroduce us to the gospel. Those who are hostile towards you or stir up hostility in you. See, Christians, let alone people outside of the church, Christians have been hostile towards one another since the get-go, as I read the New Testament. And so we shouldn't be surprised when hostility emerges among us. And among other things, we need to take that hostility seriously, not just as an emotional problem to fix. My goodness, we don't need that here but as an occasion by which we might get a glimpse of the good news of Jesus Christ trying to make itself heard to us. Final slide. So, will you commit yourself to this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ that will come to you through an other in your life? Will you give yourself to relationship with true others in order to continue to receive and be shaped by the Gospel? If so, I want to leave you with some suggestions of where to begin looking. Now, some of you, it's, you already know exactly where this applies in your life. But if you're not sure, let me suggest three places to look. First, your intimates. The people who are closest to you. I just spent this past weekend, I hadn't planned this until last week, but I just spent this last weekend with my youngest sister up in Canada who has been battling cancer for three years. 
and um, it looks like she's pretty near the end. She's taken a turn for the worse, and we're not expecting her to live more than a few weeks. One of the challenging things for me, quite honestly, in being there was that, for a number of reasons, this dear sister of mine keeps at arm's length anything to do with religion, with the church. And so the kinds of things that I would often rely on in those kinds of situations, things like prayer publicly and out loud and conversation about how God might be with us, was, was, there was not a space for that. And as part of my love and respect for her, I honored that. In other words, my younger sister was an other. <laughs> She's different than me and lives in a different reality than me. But that was not just something for me to put up with. Rather, in a way that I don't know as I fully can explain, the otherness of being in a situation where I couldn't do all my religious ministerial things actually became an occasion for me to relearn what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. The good news that provides hope even in a situation that may seem hopeless. Next, strangers. That is, in our public life, outside of the people that we know, sometimes what you need to learn to get your life back on track with the gospel, with the good news, to rediscover again who really God is, that message is going to come through somebody you don't even know. And finally, next. This is where... This is, this is the hardest piece. But if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to hear this again and again. Often, the way we come to a deeper knowledge of who God is is through our enemies. And I suspect that's why Jesus said very clearly and explicitly, love your enemies. What might it be like if we were to be people of God who were committed to the fullness of the gospel as it comes to us again and again through others? Prof. Shetler is going to come now and lead us in a closing hymn that describes exactly what it means to be that kind of people. 669, we are God's people. 669, would you stand, please?
And now may the fire of that good news of God in Jesus Christ live within you and among you as you forge those connections that allow us to be the Gospel in the world. Go in peace.